Good morning. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the old familiar stories. We thank you that every time we read your Bible by your Spirit, you, re you reveal something new to us. So I'd ask by your Spirit that you would do that this day with this passage. We pray in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, 2020, right? Um, one of the most interesting things to me is that sales of puzzles have gone up 700% because people don't know what to do other than, you know, watch news all day, so they do puzzles. And I think it's really funny, puzzles, because you, you put all these pieces together and you don't really know all the time what you're going to get, and then only when you get to a certain point does the picture start to look like it makes sense. That's where we are in this Advent sermon. We're at Bethlehem. So a lot of the edges pieces have been done, but we're going to get a little bit more of the picture this week. So that's how we're going to look at this passage. Last week, just by way of reminder, we focused on the promises of the Messiah being from the line of David, that he would be a blessing to all the peoples on the earth, and the Israelites would have a place to dwell securely, and that God would be with them there. We talked about having hope in the promises that God made, because all the promises would be fulfilled. And hope gets us through times of uncertainty. So today, we're going to add three more pieces to the puzzle. Location, purpose, and emotions. So first, location. We lit the Bethlehem candle, so the first thing we need to talk about is Bethlehem. Now, sometimes we think about Bethlehem just showing up in the New Testament, but oh no, there was lots of stuff going on in Bethlehem in the Old Testament. Bethlehem was the place in the Old Testament where Boaz, in the Ruth story, was the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. For those of you who don't know the story, uh, Naomi uh, and her family had to go to Moab because of a sons who had married Moabite women also died. She and one of her daughters-in-law were left together. And they decide to come back, and they come back to Bethlehem. Because they were women, however, they could not own property. And they could not continue the line of her deceased husband. So they had to find a male relative to take on that responsibility, and that's known as the kinsman redeemer. In the Israelite law, part of which Pastor Howard read in uh, Numbers, I, I have the exact quote of what a kinsman redeemer does. They are to, quote, act on behalf of a relative who is in trouble, danger, or in need of vindication. So that's what Boaz does. Boaz marries Ruth. Then he gives her a son and an heir. We know that son to be Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who became the father of David. So, beautiful picture of how God grasps Moabite 
his story. So to, the other responsibilities of a kinsman redeemer are to redeem the land, redeem the enslaved, provide an heir, and if necessary, avenge a death. Boaz does almost all of these things. He redeems the land so that it is in uh, Naomi's husband's name. He redeems the enslaved because they would have had to be slaves if they could not own property and make a living for themselves. He did provide an heir, but he did not avenge a death. So we'll see how that works out. Also importantly, Bethlehem was also the place where Samuel later anointed that grandson of Boaz, David, as king. Samuel was told to go to the house of Jesse, and he was presented in turn with each of his seven oldest sons for Samuel to sort of inspect and for the Lord to say, nope, nope, not that one, nope, nope. Do you have any other sons? Oh yeah, there's the little one out in the field taking care of the sheep. Yeah, his name's David. Yeah, bring him. And the Lord said to Samuel, yes, he is the one I'm going to make my king. And 1 Samuel records that the spirit of the Lord came on David that very day. We know from last week that Jesus would be born from the line of David, so this Bethlehem-centric story is going to continue. Bethlehem is also the place where the prophets Zechariah and Micah predicted that the Messiah would be born. Pastor Howard read us part of the Micah passage. The description that Micah gives is that he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and they will live securely for then the greatness of God will reach the ends of the earth. What a great description that is. Shepherd his flock. So, putting the pieces of the puzzle together, we know that Bethlehem is the place. We know that there's going to be something to do with shepherds, based on Micah's prophecy. And we know that the Spirit of the Lord is going to come on this mighty king to be, even as a baby. So then we get today's story in the passage of Luke. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And it's called The Birth of Jesus. Also a familiar passage. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the holy baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, 
keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will come, will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Such a great, great story with so many layers. So as I said, we know the location is Bethlehem, and that brings us to our second element, which is purpose. The purpose of the Messiah was the same purpose as Boaz. He's the redeemable. To act on behalf of a relative who is in trouble, danger, or need of vindication. In this case, it wasn't just one person that needed rescuing. It was all of humanity, all of his creation. He was going to redeem. Jesus was going to redeem the enslaved. He was the heir that was promised from David's line, and he makes us co-heirs according to the promise by our faith, according to Galatians 3. And, ultimately, Jesus would grow up to do the one kinsman redeemer role that Boaz couldn't, to avenge or defeat death in his sacrifice on the cross. So as much as we love the story of the cute little baby of Christmas in the manger and all the animals, make no mistake, Jesus came in order to experience life as a human with all its troubles and stresses, and then to ultimately die for our sins to redeem us and then be resurrected. Jesus came to earth to be a baby because of God's great love. But he demonstrated that love with a purpose, the redeeming purpose. So you gotta put yourself in the shoes of the shepherds. They're just outside Bethlehem. They're working the night shift because that's what shepherds do. So you imagine the shepherds talking with one another like, hey, what happened on the night shift last night? Well, not a lot. Sheep number 46 
You know how he is. He's a bit of a black sheep. He kind of tried to wander off. Other than that, pretty quiet. No foxes, no wolves. So that's the report from the night shift. On this night, however, a little different. The angel tells the first of all, an angel appears from God. The angel tells the shepherds in verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The Messiah has been born. Then the giant host of an angel choir comes and sings and praises God, just at the mention of the word Messiah. So this is the moment as we who are the people of faith enter into the story with the shepherds. This is the key moment where hope turns to anticipation and then to joy and awe and disbelief and gratitude all wrapped up in one. This is the absolute moment of transition. Years and years and generations of people had waited for this announcement. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is here. And now this is it. And who gets to be the witnesses? The shepherds on the night shift. Yep. To the shepherds, the promise of, of the prophet Micah would be particularly significant and relatable. Because again, we read that Micah said, this Messiah King would shepherd his people. He would feed them and love them and take care of them and have concern for them and guard them against enemies. That's what the shepherds did. They knew what this was all about. After all, that was their job. But they did it for actual sheep rather than for humans. So now the places Bethlehem and the purposes the coming Messiah King and Shepherd are revealed. The last element we get in today's passage is emotions. And we get these emotions from the unlikely people, the night shift, the shepherds. What you need to know is that shepherds are normally not center stage at this, in this society. They were kind of social outcasts. You didn't want to have them for dinner necessarily because they smelled, well, frankly, like sheep. And they were often lower class. They were often dirty. They were sort of viewed as lazy because most of the time they didn't have to do a lot of the night shift except make sure that the sheep didn't run away or that predator didn't come in. Plus, they work at night, so they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. So their reactions are so interesting to observe. So what were the reactions of the shepherds? In verses 16 to 20, they hurried off. So they weren't lazy when they were motivated. They were amazed, and they immediately spread the word concerning this amazing baby, and anybody who heard it was amazed. This was a life-changing night shift for them. They would never be the same. And then in verse 20 we read, the shepherds returned to the sheep, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they were told. The prophecies came through, the angel's message came through, 
it all came together in this little baby in the manger, wrapped in cloths, surrounded by probably not very pleasant smelling animals. Far cry from the palace that David wanted to build for, for God all those years ago. Their hope had turned to joyful anticipation as they heard from the angels. And the hope was fulfilled when they saw the baby. Hopes were finally realized. They came true in the baby Jesus. He is the Redeemer. He was going to shepherd them. He was going to redeem them. He was going to be everything in a baby. It all came out in a baby. Jesus came to redeem us from our sins, to love and care for us like a shepherd, and to fulfill our hopes and provide joy, just as he did to the shepherds. So as a result, in Advent this year, of all years, we need to ask ourselves today, can we be like the shepherds on the night shift? Can our hope to joy? Can we experience awe and wonder anew? Can we picture the bright star and the angel choir and the magnificent baby in humble circumstances? Can we try to understand the depth of the love of God for us that he would humble himself and take the form of a baby? born in a sticky, hot, and cramped stable among animals in Bethlehem. Not a palace or a house of cedar like David wanted to build for him. Suggestion. Reread Philippians 2 this week. It talks about how Jesus humbled himself and emptied himself of all heavenly privilege to become this human on earth. Can we experience the awe-inspiring love of God that fulfills all the prophecies, encompasses all the hopes for the coming King, and provides the loving protection of a shepherd? It is my open prayer that we can, with God's help. We don't need to be shepherds working on the night shift. We can just adopt their attitudes of openness, joy, and awe. That is my prayer for us this second Sunday in that.